I hate when my phone charger won't reach my bed. I hate when my little seats aren't heated. When I go to the bathroom and I forget my phone. La mettre radio dans machine à laver, je commence à I hate it when my house is so big. I need two wireless waters. When my megan makes my hot water taste too cold. When I have to write my maid a check, but I forget her last name. internet I hate it when I tell them no pickles and they still give me pickles. Well, I hope none of us are like that, uh, but the truth is, um, all of us can be uh, a little hard to satisfy. I, I, I don't know if y'all have ever found that about yourself or not, but we have so much stuff, but there's this part of all of us, I think, that still wants a little bit more. Uh, I asked the early service this today, and I'll ask y'all as well, what would it take to make you really happy? What would it take to really make you happy? A new what? New car, a new truck, new house, new job. Uh, what, what would have to, uh, uh, how, many, how many days off would you have to have to be really, really happy? You know, if I could have one more week off, or if I could have two days uh, 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 a month, or if I could have every Wednesday off, what would it take? You know, what would have to change in your life? What would you have to change? Well, you know, if this would change or that would change, or, or if I could just make this much, or if my husband or my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my wife would just, or if I could just get through this test, or if I could just get through this sermon, or if he could just get through with this sermon, you know, what would it make to really make you happy? You know, what, what would it take to make you content? Uh, we're going to finish up a series of sermons that we've done uh, the last few weeks talking about some roots that the devil uses in our life to steal the joy that we have. Uh, God created us to have a joy in him and to love him and to be satisfied in him. And and Jesus told a parable of uh, a man who went out to scatter seed and some fell on the hard ground and didn't grow and some fell in shallow ground and it grew real quickly but the sun scorched it. And some fell in good ground and it grew up and produced like it was supposed to but some fell in ground that was good enough produced fruit, but there were weeds in it and kept it from being all it could be. Well, he talks about this in Mark chapter four nineteen. He says, when he's just explaining this to the disciples, he said, the weeds that grow up in believers' lives and make the word unfruitful are the worries of this life, which we talked about last week, and the deceitfulness of wealth and desire for other things. Now, last week we talked about the How you get rid of the weed of worry is to trust your Heavenly Father. You trust God. He loves you more than the birds of the air. You trust Him. How you get rid of the weed, though, uh, how do you get rid of the weed of discontentment, desiring other things, dissatisfaction? Well, we're supposed to be content with what the Lord has given us. You know, we're to be satisfied. We're to be, uh, uh, um, uh, feel like we have enough. We're to be grateful. I mean, and And I wonder, if I were to ask you, how many people in your life do you know who are completely satisfied? I mean, completely satisfied. Not just a little bit. Not every now and then. Not when things are going their way satisfied. But are just all the time satisfied people. 
how many people come to your mind? I mean, I know, I probably know 15,000 people through the years of pastoring churches and living in the community and doing this consulting work, and I've like got two people in my life that I really know are really satisfied. Can can anybody think of like a bunch that just names are popping in your mind? Can anybody think of anybody? There's one, a couple, yeah, yeah, a couple, yeah. Um, I'm guessing that 95% of people in the world are not satisfied, and only 5% are really content people. Um, And if we're honest, probably most of us wouldn't fall into that category tonight, that 5%. uh, We struggle with wanting more. We want bigger. We want newer. We want more. Uh, We struggle with not having as much as someone else has or the life they have or the kids they have or I wish they had my kids or whatever. We struggle with those type of things. Uh, But the good news for us, we know we're supposed to be content. The good news for us is we can be. Uh, We can become a part of the 5%. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture. If you have your Bibles tonight, you can follow along. If you don't have your Bibles, I'll have most of the screens, uh, most of the verses on the screen. Uh, But we're going to take you to Philippians chapter 4. Paul, for those of you who don't know, the New Testament is the last 27 books of the Bible. Uh, Most of it was written by a man named Paul, uh, an apostle who became a follower of Jesus later in life. He wrote at least 13 of the New Testament books. So right at half of the New Testament were written by Paul. Uh, So if you hear that, that's the deal. Uh, Paul was a missionary, and he took the uh, word to the Gentiles. That's us. And they weren't real happy with Paul in a lot of places, and so he was thrown in jail a few times. Well, one of the times he was thrown in jail, uh, he writes a book called Philippians, which was to the church at Philippi. Now, the church at Philippians was a financial partner of Paul. Um, When he was traveling, they would help him with his travel expenses. When he was in prison, they would send him stuff to help him out. Uh, And he really appreciated it. Uh, But apparently, you know, anytime you kind of help somebody, if you've ever helped somebody more than once, there becomes like an expectation a little bit. I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like they start depending on it. And Paul was depending on the church of Philippi to, like, make it. And apparently there was kind of a lag time between gifts, and Paul was wondering what was going on. Well, the book of Philippians was written right after he receives one of their gifts. And listen to what he says. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. At last you you renewed your concern for me. Yeah, I know you were concerned. He kind of catches himself. I know you were concerned, but you just didn't have opportunity to show it. And there might have been a lot of reasons why this happened. Maybe the person who took the money to Paul died. Maybe the church at Philippi was going through a hard time, and they just didn't have extra pennies laying around. Maybe uh, the prison where he was at squeezed down on Paul and said, that's it, you're not getting any more. For whatever reason, there was lag time in the gifts, and Paul gets the gifts, and he says, man, I'm really grateful that you, that you are still concerned about me. I know you're always concerned and praying, but you didn't have a chance to show it. Uh, but but he, he, he expresses his gratitude. But one of the things he says, uh, he, he, he says, look, I'm glad you support me, but you're not the reason that I have joy. He expresses his gratitude, but their support uh, is not his, his point of joy. Because God knows that Paul's going to, or that 
Paul knows that God's going to take care of him regardless of what happens. And he didn't want anybody to think that, look, I can't make it if y'all don't help me. So here's the verses we're going to study tonight. Verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of be content. Whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I figured this thing out. I am content. Now, we're going to learn some lessons tonight, okay? I hope you'll follow along. If you were here this morning, pretend that you don't know them already, okay? All right, here they are. Lesson number one. A person can be content regardless of what they're facing. Notice what he says in verse 11 again. I am content whatever the circumstances. Whatever the circumstances, I've learned to be content. We have a tendency to think that we can be content as long as things go our way. If our health is good, I can be content. You know, if, if the baby's sleeping, I can be content. You know, if the light's green when I'm in a hurry, then I'm content. But if things don't go our way, we can't even imagine being content in that. But Paul says there is a contentment whatever our circumstances are. We can have a real contentment. Uh, you know, and the problem is, is if your contentment is dependent on your circumstances, your circumstances are always going to yo-yo. Right? I mean, listen, I want to tell you the straight-up truth. Preachers on TV will lie to you and tell you, you follow Jesus, it'll work out. You can have your best life whenever you want it. All you got to do is name it and claim it, and it'll work out the way you want it, and they're full of garbage. It rains on the just and the unjust. Sometimes good stuff happens to good people. Sometimes bad stuff happens to good people. Sometimes bad stuff happens to bad people, and we all say amen, but then sometimes it hits us square in the face, and we're thinking, wait a minute, how, how come this is happening? Look, life happens. That's just a fact. Life happens. We live in a sinful, broken world that is spinning with a broken tilt until we are redeemed completely forever in heaven. That is the way it is. And so you're going to have bad stuff happen. It is going to happen. The question is, how are you going to respond? If you can only respond to God when good stuff happens, then you're going to be like, you know, a $20 bill in my daughter's hand. Gone. <laughs> you, 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 if you're only happy whenever things are, are, are good, it, it, you're just not going to be happy. Um, real contentment has nothing to do with circumstances. Paul speaks of a contentment that transcends what's going on around you. And I mean, isn't that what we want? Let's be honest. You know, we want a new truck. We want, you know, a new uh, uh, job, a new relationship, yada, yada, yada. Let's be honest. What we really want is the feeling. It's not the person, it's not the job, it's not the stuff, it's not the vacation spot, it's not the... We just want that feeling, a feeling of ah, the sunshiny day when everything's perfect and you have nothing to do and you're doing your favorite thing. That's what we want. We want that feeling. And Paul says that feeling can be found in spite of your circumstances. You can have that contentment. It's all right, no matter what. Listen to what Paul says in the next verse. He says... I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. Now, there's a couple couplets here, and they're talking about food. And Paul says, I'm learned to, I, I, I've learned to be satisfied if my bowl's empty or if my bowl's full. 
Now, we can't even envision that. Uh, guys, have y'all ever been so hungry that you did and, and you had nothing to eat at your house? Really? <laughs> like nothing. Or you're just talking about I didn't have Cheerios. Or I didn't have Oreos, right? I'm talking about nothing. Nothing at all. Like not even like, not even broccoli. Oh, guys, the only time I've ever experienced this was in Africa. There were guys walking around, grown men walking around with bowls in their hand, and I asked the missionary, I said, what's this about? And he said, uh, he said, these men don't know where they're going to eat tonight. We can't even envision this. So sometimes this text, when it says, I've learned to be content, whether I'm full or, you know, most of us are thinking about Thanksgiving, how we're going to lose weight, not how we're going to find enough to eat. That's what we're thinking about. So this is hard for us, but I think there is a, 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 a lesson that transcends food, and that is contentment's not dependent upon material possessions. You know, your, your contentment doesn't have to be based necessarily on what you have. You know, uh, uh, you can be content if you have very little, and you can be content if you have a lot. You can be content if you have a new car or if you have a beater car. You know, the one where you have to go into McDonald's and you have to open the door to go through the drive through window? You know, I mean, or the air condition is the window, you know, or the cracked windshield or whatever it is. You can be content whatever you have. You know, you can be content with a big house or no house. You know, uh, you can be content. It doesn't matter what you have. Have you ever met a person who seemed to have everything, but yet they're waiting for the next thing to make them happy? Man, if I could just do this, or if I just get in that, or if I get in this club, or if I learn to play this, or if I learn to do that, or if I could get this. And then they get that next thing, and they're still not happy. So that shows us that contentment is not dependent upon your material possessions, because you can have a lot and not be content, but it works the opposite way, too. You can have nothing and still be content. Listen to what Paul says again. I want you to catch this. I'm not saying this because I'm in need for it. I have learned to be content. Next verse. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. So here's the principle. Every Christian can learn to be content. Now, there's two things that we can surmise from that I have learned. Number one, it's attainable. You know, you might not be a part of the 95% right now, or the 5% right now. You're the 95. You're wanting, wanting, wanting. You know that's you. You're always needing more. That's you. That's, I get that. You can be content, and you should be content. Another thing we learn is contentment's not something you're born with. If you've got to learn it, you ain't got it. Um, so the key question is, how do you learn it? Well, some people would say, well, you know, they see people who are not content, and they will say, well, they just need to go through hard times, and then they'd learn to be content. You know, if when I was a kid, y'all know, we walked to school uphill both ways in the snow to school. That's kind of the way, you know, if, if, ever people, if other people had hard times, then they would learn to be happy with what they have. If that were true, then if people need to just have hard times to be content, wouldn't ever poor person be content? And yet poor people are the only people I see standing in line for lottery tickets. Because they want out. You know? And some people would say, well, we just need to redistribute the wealth. If, if I just gave y'all a little more and y'all a little more and y'all a little less and we all kind of got on an even plane, then it would be fine. But we've all met people who had everything they want and still act like they don't have enough. 
Remember that kid you was growing up with who had everything but yet didn't seem to be satisfied? And I mean, we've all seen that person. And then they get older and they're trying to keep up with the Joneses and they're miserable. Uh, you know, parents, I'd say to you, teach your kids to be content, but the truth is you can't. You can teach your kids to be grateful. You know how you can teach your kids to be grateful? Take away the stuff they have. You take away what they have and tell them, say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. All of a sudden, they start saying, yes, sir, no, sir, <laughs> yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And then they're grateful when they actually have something. You can teach them gratitude, but you can't teach contentment because that's a heart deal. You know, um, you can't make them joyful because that's a heart deal. So how is contentment found and how do you learn it? Well, the simple answer is you have to start by giving your heart and life to Jesus. There's a God-shaped hole in all of us. And no matter where you go, no matter what you achieve, you'll never get to the place where you outgrow that God-shaped hole. There's a part of you that only God can fill, period. Augustine said, every heart is restless until it finds rest in thee, O God. First and foremost, you have to fill your life with God. And if you've never done that here, if you've never given your life to God, that's where it starts. Give your life to God. Let him feel that because you will always be miserable. But, now let's be honest here, where it's just us talking, just us. We've all seen people who come to church and say they've given their life to God who still seem to be discontent. Because if that weren't the case, we'd be, both, we'd be holding up two hands filled with the number of people we know who are content because we all go to church. Or at least tonight we do. So, if you can have Jesus in your heart, not be content how do we learn it okay because jesus lives in my heart and he's going to take me to heaven when i die how do i learn contentment well i want to back up into philippians 4 i just want to walk you through the passage and then we'll kind of wrap this up paul says you want to be content rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice always what's that sound like every circumstance you're in rejoice in the lord when things are upside down, you rejoice in the Lord. When your day's not going well, you rejoice in the Lord. When your boss is an idiot, you rejoice in the Lord. When the person driving in front of you is not in nearly as big a hurry as you are, or the person behind you is in much bigger hurry than you are, you rejoice in the Lord. Whenever the preacher goes too long, you rejoice in the Lord. Whenever the preacher doesn't make sense, you rejoice in the Lord. Whenever life happens, you rejoice in the Lord. When health is bad, you rejoice in the Lord. You learn to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, I think it means that you think about, worst case scenario, what happens to me. Tonight, worst case scenario, I'll get in my car and I get hit on the way to where I'm staying and I'm killed. Guess what? I'll be with the Lord. Worst case scenario, my health fails me and I'm in miserable pain for 70 years. I'd be, I'd be an old man. For 50 years, and I'd still be an old man. Worst case scenario, but that 50 years, how does that compare to 10 kajillion years in heaven with the perfect body? You know? Because Christ, his death on the cross, has bought that for me. Worst case scenario, I run out of money and I don't know where I'm going to fill my bowl up next week. Well, I've probably got a few weeks before I'm in real trouble. But when the day comes that I am in real trouble, I know that though the body may faint and grow weary, the soul can stay strong because Christ lives in me. See, guys, you, you, you got to think of Christ. He's your friend. He will never leave you. He's promised he will always be by your side. He's told you he will take you to heaven when you die. And he has promised that he'll love you even though you mess up and are a mess up sometimes. You know, and so you rejoice in that. You start there. You wake up in the morning and say, Lord, no matter what comes today, I'm going to remember you love me enough to die for me. I'll remember that. 
People should see that in us. We say we believe in God. We say we've got a heavenly Father who's forgiven us and provides for us. We should live like that. Well, how does a believer be content? Number one, remind yourself of what you have in Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. Then the next verse says, let your gentleness be evident to all. I don't know if anybody's got their Bible open or not tonight to Philippians 4, but that phrase, gentleness, can be a gentle spirit, can be graciousness in some Bibles. A lot of Bibles translate it as reasonableness. Let your reasonableness be evident to all. Well, isn't it reasonable if you've got a heavenly Father and you've got a God who loves you that you are okay regardless of what happens? I mean, that's just reasonable. People should see this in us. They should say, I've got one in my 5%. It's that person. Um, then the, go forward. The, the rest of this verse says, the Lord is near. I don't know why, but I've just, that, that phrase has always intrigued me because that can mean a lot of stuff. The Lord is near can mean that the Lord's walking right beside us. And when I'm grumbling and complaining and acting like I don't have enough and he hadn't been faithful to me and he haven't given, hasn't given me enough and the people in my life are such a big drag on me that I can't face, when I'm doing this stuff, he's like, the Lord's here. How different would we act in church tonight if the Lord was here physically? Well, the Lord is here spiritually. And he said, let your gentleness be known. The Lord is near. Now, the, the phrase the Lord is near could also mean that the Lord's coming back. You know, hey, the Lord's coming back. So that's kind of where I'm going with this next point. How do you learn to be content? Well, you remember this life is temporary. You know, this all comes down to belief, guys. I can tell you, I, you know, I can try to make you, this is all about belief. You either believe that there's heaven and it's going to last forever and with a good God, or you don't. I don't know how to make it any better than that. You either believe Jesus died on the cross for you and rose from the dead and has saved you, or you don't. You know, and if, if you really believe that he's died on the cross for, for you and saved you and he's given you eternal life, okay, yeah, I mean, there's some bumps in the road, but it's all right. Because I know that there is a heaven that awaits me. And that's nearer than you think. You know, I, I, probably the hardest service for me to preach to is this one. Because in the other services, I'm like one of the young guys. In this service, I'm the old guy, you know? And in the other services, when I say, boy, this life goes quick, everybody's going, uh-huh. You ain't seen nothing yet. You know, that's what, in this service, everybody's looking at me like, oh, shut up, I got a long life to live. The truth is, this life will go this quick. Just like that. And the best thing I can tell you is to remember when you get to the end of your life, you're not going to care how much of this life you really lived. You're going to care how you prepared for the life that lasts forever. So I'd encourage you to remember this life is temporary. How do you learn to be content? Well, pray when you're struggling. The very next verse. He says, uh, for those of y'all who are note takers, let's go back for a second. They say the average person can take a note in three seconds, so go. All right. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't worry about it. Don't be discontent. Don't be in knots about it. In everything, by prayer and supplication, pray. I mean, when you're struggling, and I, I, I struggle. I do. I'm like, oh, my goodness, man. I, I went hunting with my buddies the other day, and I had to put a hitch on a girl car. 
you know, so I could, in case I got something, I could carry it out. A hitch on a girl car. That's not good. I wish I had a truck, a man truck, that I had to climb up into. You know, that's what I want. See, there it is. Discontentment. See, creeping up in, I compared myself to other people. When you get to those places, it's better to say, Lord, thank you that I, I, I hadn't bought something just for me and I've had the opportunity to help others because I hadn't and I'm not deep in debt and I'm not paying it off and I'm not, thank you, Lord. Or, Lord, help me to, whew, Lord, help me to realize what's important because right now I'm really lusting after that truck. You know, <laughs> help me in this. Uh, prayer and petition. And notice how he tags on with Thanksgiving. Do you see that? See, that's key to your prayer when you're trying to overcome discontentment. You just got to learn to be grateful for what you got. You know, are you grateful for what the Lord has given you? And you present your request to God. And I didn't put verse 7 up there, but verse 7 says, And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And that's what we're wanting, peace, not discontentment. Satisfaction, not unrest in our soul. And so he says you, th this peace will come in. And then uh, how do you learn to be content? Well, you focus on good things. Uh, verse 8 of Philippians 4 says, Finally, brothers, I'm sorry, back just a second. Go. All right. Verse 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if there's anything excellent, anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Um, you know, people who grumble and are always looking at the negative are not going to be content. So look at the positive. I mean, I'm not being Pollyanna here that if I just think positive thoughts, it'll always go well. But I am thinking, look at the positive side of whatever you're in, even if it's hard. Yeah. Uh, how can you learn to be content? I think the real key, and I could have skipped all that and just given you this, but, you know, I didn't. So, sorry. The real content to, uh, key to be content is live for Jesus and not for yourself. Paul says in uh, Philippians 1 verse 21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, what Paul had in his mind is if I'm having a great day, God, it's not about me. It's not did they like my sermon. It's not did I get to watch the football game I wanted to watch. It's not did I get to eat at the place I wanted to eat at. God, did I live this day in a way that honors you? And then when it goes bad, it's not, man, I can't believe I had to put up with that person and I can't believe that I had to deal with this and my back aches and da-da-da. It's not that. It's, Lord, in spite of this, would you let me live this day in a way that brings you glory? That's the way we're supposed to live our life. Every day is God's. It's not yours. I guess I would say you're living on borrowed time. You borrowed it from God. He let you have it. Treat your life like it's his, not yours. Okay? Uh, this passage wraps up with this verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Um, probably one of the mis most misquoted verses ever. You know, the guy who goes into the boxing ring where Evander Holyfield years ago. I hate even bringing this up in this service. How many of y'all here know who Evander Holyfield is? Please raise your hand if you know. He got his ear bit off, right. Y'all two don't know. Okay, that makes me really sad. Do y'all know? Y'all two don't know. That makes me really, really sad. Anybody else not know who Evander Holyfield is? Okay, all the young kids. I, all right, I get y'all. Got it. All right, I'm old. Chris, you are too. Yeah, 
you're well read. That's what it is. <laughs> Evander right. Holyfield was a boxer who put his gloves up somewhere around 2000, 2001. Um, Holyfield was a Christian. Uh, he was a heavyweight. He fought Mike Tyson, a little more popular name that you heard of. Holyfield lost to Tyson once, beat Tyson once. But the time he beat Tyson, he wore a robe into the... Uh, and I've never understand that. Why do boxers wear robes? But anyhow, he wore a robe into the boxing ring, you know, real slick robe, said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Beat Tyson down. Awesome. But guess what? He wore the same robe into the ring when Lennox Lewis pummeled him. And I mean just beat him to a bloody pulp. So saying this verse is like a pep talk. I can do it. I can do whatever I want. If Christ is in me, I can do whatever I want. No, not true. You can do whatever God wants you to do. You can do whatever God wants. And God wants you to live content, a content life. And you can do that. You can be content with what you have through Christ. And it's important because contentment is often a believer's most powerful testimony. Um, I asked pastors this week who they knew who were content. I have a group of pastors I meet with once a month. There's about 50 of them there. We were providing some training for them. And uh, I have five or six of them that I meet a little more often, kind of mentoring for and into their life. And I ask them, who do you know who's really content? And uh, they came up with about six people total. Some were poor, some were rich, some were young, some were old. And one was a missionary, one was a wife of an alcoholic. And uh, they, they taught me something. They taught me that contentment is not dependent upon what you have or what you've done or how well you were blessed when you were young. I asked them, what's the one common denominator? And they said, in those people, they said, that person lives for Jesus. You want that feeling of contentment? There it is. Live for Jesus and not for yourself. You do that, you can come into the 5%. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to share it tonight. I pray, God, that uh, you would help us to be more content. Lord, I, I thank you for dealing with my heart as I've dealt with this passage. Uh, Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, that as we continue to uh, process your word and think about what you've done for us, Lord, that you will challenge our hearts. Challenge us to be grateful. Lord God, you've proved your love for us. If you never give us another thing in our life, and we never have another day of ease, you have proved your love for us by giving us Christ on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation right now. You can come and pray. You can take communion. If you need to talk to somebody, I'd be glad to talk to you. You can come and give as well. But if God speaks to you, you can come right now.